As mentioned, the text for this afternoon's sermon is Psalm 73. We have read that already together. Beloved congregation of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, one thing we can appreciate about the Psalms is that they don't gloss over the difficulties of this life here on earth. Some psalmists cry out for help because they're being attacked by enemies. Others cry out from the darkness. And still others lament the brokenness of life. That's also why we turn to them so often. We find words of praise when we experience moments of joy. And we find words of comfort when we, when we face moments of sorrow. We can identify with many of the struggles of believers who lived such a long time ago. They go through the same struggles we do. Here in Psalm 73, we have another struggle from, from a believer long ago. We get an insight into someone's crisis of faith. Now, as we, as we look at the catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, we, we're all very familiar with, or many of us are very familiar with, Lord's Day 7 about true faith. And there we confess, true faith is a firm confidence in the saving work of God. And indeed it is. However, that description of true faith does not mean that a true child of God will, ne will never go through a struggle in faith, a struggle of faith. Well, that can happen. It does happen. And Asaph, who lived long ago, shows his particular struggle in faith in our text. Here in Psalm 73, Asaph describes how he began to doubt the goodness of God. He doubted the goodness of God. True believers can go through a struggle like that. God's goodness towards his children was hard for him to see. And when it became hard for him to see, he stumbled in faith by envying the lives of unbelievers. And through it all, he describes how God brought him through his crisis so that he might rejoice in God again. So as I preach you God's word this afternoon, do so under the following theme and points. When God's goodness is hard to see, we might stumble in faith by envying the lives of non-Christians or unbelievers. We have three points. First, God's goodness questioned. Second, God's goodness vindicated. And third, God's goodness enjoyed. Now, our text begins with an opening statement of faith. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, that might have been a, a common confession within Israel. God is good to his people, to the faithful. And a statement like that seems to have been built right into the covenant. After all, there were blessings for obedience and, and curses for disobedience. And for someone like Asaph, this statement of faith in verse 1 might have been a statement of faith he learned as a child. Maybe his parents taught it to him. 
Maybe he heard it a thousand times. And as a child, he might have simply accepted that truth as fact. He didn't question it. He didn't doubt it. That's what he believed. That's how he viewed the world. However, then at one point later in life, Asaph came into a crisis, a crisis of faith. Suddenly, he's not so sure that this statement is true. No, he's, he's grown up, he's had some more life experience, and as he looks at the world, he wonders, Do, did, did, does what I learned as a child, does that match with what I see in this world? Does it match? Is God really true to his word? And what caused this crisis of faith? It's what Asaph saw in the world. He saw the wicked people thriving. He saw people who didn't acknowledge God. They, they, they seemed to receive one blessing after another from God. It wasn't the pure in heart whom, whom God showed his goodness. It seemed to be the wicked who experienced his goodness. This is how he describes it. The wicked don't have the common problems that people have. Their bodies are generally healthy. When they do have problems, they seem to have the riches to be able to fix them. They have all the food they want. Fat is on their bellies, he literally says. They can spend their money on what they want. They can eat what they want. They can go wherever they want, do what they want. And often they gain their wealth by sinful ways with no repercussions. Well, you've probably heard the saying, cheaters never prosper. Well, Asaph looks at the world and he says, that's not true. The cheaters are prospering. Life seems great for them. Not only that, but they seem to outright defy God. He says they set their mouths against heavens, they're full of arrogance, Arrogance and the wicked say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Right? They, they seem to acknowledge there's a God, but it, it doesn't mean anything to their life. It doesn't matter. They're kings. Do what they want instead. Then, when Asaph looked at his own life, seemed to be completely different. Right? His aim was to walk this, the straight and narrow. He tried to keep his heart pure. He tried to please God. And then it seemed that God only brought more suffering into his life. Listen to verse 14. All day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. See, Asaph says, I try to wake, walk the straight and narrow, and then I experience this from God's hand. It's the opposite of the wicked. And it doesn't seem to make an ounce of sense. Isn't that like a parent who punishes their child for doing something good and then rewards the child who does what is evil? Right? Is that good parenting? Can God really be good if he does something like that? 
Well, suddenly Asaph doesn't know. He questions the goodness of God. Maybe, you, maybe you've done something similar in your life. Maybe you question God's goodness right now in your life. Also, as you go through trials. And as he looks back at his crisis of faith, Asaph recounts how he really struggled with these things. He said his, his soul was embittered. Couldn't get it off his mind. He says, my foot almost slipped. I nearly went off the path of wisdom and obedience. He envied the unbelievers. What's the use of trying to live a life of obedience? God's goodness seems to fall on the wicked, so why not live like them? It seems free. It seems easy. And maybe you've experienced thoughts like that before, too. Trying to live in obedience to God is not easy, right? God's commandments sometimes put you in a bind where it's, it hurts to obey. But sometimes where God's commandments lead us, it, it hurts to obey. And then you try to do, do your best to obey God, and then... And then God puts more suffering in your life and it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to make any sense. And so we might think maybe it's better just to live like the non-Christian and they seem free and do what they want with their money. They just buy more toys and it looks like fun. And some days they don't have to think about going to church. They just do what they want. Maybe you think I want to live like that too. Well, that's where Asaph had gone. His foot almost slipped off the path of biblical wisdom. But despite it all, he continued on in the Christian life. That brings us to the second point. So Asaph had these things going on in his heart. It was churning in his heart. And yet, despite that, he held his tongue. He confesses, if I had said... I'm going to talk to that like this to people. It's better to live like an unbeliever. Tell that to the people in the church. He says, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he says, if I had given full vent to my frustrations to other people, I would have caused them to stumble also. And that's something for us to keep in mind. It's true, we might go through a crisis of faith. That can happen to God's children. And we may and should speak about that with someone else. But also take care of how you vocalize your struggles. If Asaph would have spoken bitter things from a bitter heart, telling people it's a waste of time to live a godly life, he might have caused others to sin. He says, it's good, I didn't go there. So we must watch how we speak. Now, instead of giving full vent to his frustration, Asaph instead committed himself to the regular worship of God. He says, when I, when I try to make sense of what I saw in the world, he said, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I entered the sanctuary of God. That was the turning point. He came into the temple courts before God in worship. 
and it changed his perspective. Helped him through his crisis of faith. The Holy Spirit fixed his vision so he could see the world rightly again. And that's one thing we seek through our regular worship every week too. Right? Our simple hearts can create false pictures of the world in our minds as we live during the week. We might face things during the week that cause us to struggle in faith. And any one of us might go through a crisis of faith. We might come to that point, yeah, is this true? Is what I've been taught since I was a child, is it true or is it all for naught? And at that point of crisis, there are two paths we can take. A person could go the way of the unbeliever. They could say, yeah, it's better to live the life of the non-Christian, forget the things I've learned before, who needs God? Or, in the crisis, a person can persevere in worship. They might say, you know what, I'm really struggling in my faith right now. But I'm going to keep coming to church to hear God's word. Even though it doesn't always make sense to me, and even though God's ways don't always make sense to me, still going to act in faith. I'm going to listen to God's word. The Holy Spirit shows us the way through Asaph. You know, the Lord let Asaph, he let him struggle for a time. But then he gave him understanding at God's place of worship. Asaph had envied the lives of unbelievers But as he came into those temple courts, he understood the true end of those who live far from God. It was death. That's what he says in verses 18 and 20. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. So what he saw with his eyes was that the, the lives of the wicked, they seemed so stable. They seemed permanent. But it was actually not that way. They could fall at any moment. They were like images in a dream, so vivid at one moment while you're having that dream, and then you wake up and those images are gone. Asaph was reminded that's what the lives of unbelievers are like. Right, flourishing for a moment and then gone. Now, what is it in the temple courts that fixed his vision? Well, we don't know for sure, but one thing it could be is the animal sacrifices that were offered every day there. See, every day animal sacrifices were offered on the burnt offering. The priest would, the priest would slaughter an animal, cut it up, and burn different parts of that animal, and he would sprinkle the blood on the sides of the altar. It was not a pretty picture. Actually, it was a picture of death. And God was showing his people in those sacrifices his punishment upon sin. And that's the punishment that would fall upon the people that Asaph had envied. 
See, he realized God's not unjust. Even though the the unbeliever might experience little trouble now, it's not going to stay that way. This is God's punishment upon sin. But not only that, but those sacrifices offered at the temple, they also showed God's goodness towards his people. God was showing his payment for the sins of believers. And those sacrifices would remind Asaph, you know what? I'm not really pure in heart. Right? He confessed God is good to those who are pure in heart. And those sacrifices reminded him, you know what? I'm not pure in heart. Even though I do try to live a life of obedience, I'm still a sinner who needs a Savior. I need that sacrifice to pay for my sin. I don't actually deserve the goodness of God, but He has graciously forgiven my sins. And His goodness is a gift of grace. That's what we must see too. God purifies our hearts by faith in Jesus Christ. See, what... What Asaph would have seen in those animal sacrifices, we see in Christ. In the cross, we see God's punishment upon sin and his payment for sin. The person who lives apart from from God and apart from Christ, they're going to receive a similar punishment that, that Christ received on the cross, the curse. But the person who is sorry for their sin and looks to Christ in faith They see that their sins are paid for. And that's God's goodness on display. John 3, 17 and 18 puts it so clearly, God did not send his son into into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. See, this is why believers experience the goodness of God. It's because Christ secured it for us. Whoever believes is not condemned. So God's goodness has been vindicated in Asaph's mind. It may be vindicated in our minds too. Look what he's done for us in Christ. Now at the end of this psalm, Asaph, he comes to the point where he not only... Uh, is God's goodness vindicated, but he, he comes to enjoy God's goodness. This is our third point. So at the temple, the eyes of Asaph's heart were enlightened. He saw that the unbeliever will not prosper in the end, and he could see God's goodness to him as a gift. And that knowledge, that belief, it changed how he lived throughout the rest of the week. He, wasn't going to envy, he was not going to envy the lives of unbelievers anymore. Instead, he knew that those who live apart from God should actually envy him. It's a complete 180-degree turn. Unbelievers should want what he has because he is such a rich treasure in a relationship with God. 
And that's true despite the suffering he might experience right now. You know what? They might have a lot of stuff, but they don't have God, and so their lives are empty. And that can be a check for us. Do you envy the lives of, of unbelievers? You wish you could live like them? If the answer is yes, then something's wrong. You're not seeing the world rightly. Maybe you need to repent of something in your heart. Maybe there's some kind of idolatry going on. And it could be that suffering has caused you to doubt the goodness of God. And that can happen. If that's happened to you, then, then bring that before God in prayer. But Asaph came to realize that unbelievers should want what he has. He is the best thing of all. And may God bring us to that point too. We have the best thing of all. He confesses at the end of the psalm, but as for me, it's good. It's good to be near God. Through Christ's sacrifice, he had eternal life. So he had peace with God. He he could look forward to fellowship with God. That's why he says in verses 21 to 23, When I went through that struggle of faith where my soul was embittered, I was like a beast towards you. I was like an animal. Didn't know what I was doing. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. Even if he went through this life with nothing, with hardly anything at all, even if he suffered every day, he had his God, has his Father, God who was holding his hand the whole time, walking him through the struggles of life. He was like a little child holding the hand of his, of his father. Think of God's goodness in this. Asaph went through a, a struggle in faith. He, he even envied the lives of unbelievers. God did not cast him off. God did not say, well, if that's your attitude, forget it, you're no longer my child. No. He held his hand through the struggle of faith. What a beautiful thing. And as you struggle in faith, don't think God will just cast you off and abandon you. See how patient he was with Asaph? That's the mercy of God in Christ. We can confess, yes, I might might not have much. I might go through trials and struggles, but God is my Father. He's going to hold my hand as I go through this broken life. He will always be there. And Asaph goes on to say, You guide me by your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Do you want proof that God is good to his people? It's found in those words. You will receive me into glory. The heart and flesh of believers might fail. We might physically die. But it's not the end. In Christ, we will be taken up into glory. And that's God's goodness to his people. 
And that, and that changes our perspective. We can say the same things as Asaph. Might I, I might have a lot less than, than people who store up all kinds of things for themselves, but, but that's okay because I have God and He has me. Whom do I, uh, whom do I have in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. God gives us all that we need. He gives us himself. So as we suffer, God promises us through Christ in Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's not to minimize the suffering we might go through in this life, but that that affirms to us that whatever we suffer, it's only like dust on the scales compared to the the weight of glory that is coming in the presence of God. It's what we will enjoy one day. Look at how it changed Asaph in this psalm. At one point, he viewed this world from a a this-world-only perspective. Then he fixed his eyes on what was unseen, and that that changed everything for him. But as for me, it's good to be near God. Beloved, God is good to his people, and he's good to us. He's given us his son. He will receive us into glory. Amen.